Yeah, you know, we're just chatting. We're just chatting. That's all it is. We're it's like the three of us talking. Um, all right, so I'll get started. Uh, hi, everyone. This is Keith Gallagher. I'm here with Connie Scott and Father Will Fisher. The three of us wanted to get together just to kind of chat about what the church is up to right now. So there's a lot going on in the world, clearly. Um, and some of you may have questions. I just want to hear from Father Will, uh, you know, what the next, what the future looks like. So we thought we'd take a few minutes and, and talk. Uh, we miss you all, and we can't wait to be together once again. So, uh, Father Will, how are you? Doing well. Uh, it, it's uh, th- This is both a trying time in the sense that um, there's a lot of things that we just don't know yet and, and can't yet plan for. Uh, and, and and having to do it with so little human contact uh, makes it, it very lonely. Um, but you know, this is, this is what, this is what, this is what history has, uh, this is the hand that history has dealt us and we have no choice but to play it. So, yep. yeah. Well, it's we'll nice to see people in person when, when it happens. Uh, I, I agree. Connie, how's it going? It's going well. Um, I totally agree with the not seeing people from the church in person, along with just the socializing um, outside of, of course, I go to work, but um, the hard thing. And I know we're looking forward to having some uh, direction doing that. Yeah, I know we all. I'm sure everybody wants to know. Uh, how's your mom? Yeah. Oh, she's doing yeah, well. That... She's doing well. She's hanging in there. <laughs> I'm Talking sure everyone appreciates it. I know we, parish, we do so. when when we hear from her. So thank her for Jill and I, please. All right. So I, I, I thought maybe we just ask Connie and I would um, ask Father Wilson questions. Uh, so he can kind of you know, take us through a few things. Um, I was fortunate enough to to go to a, a, a protest in Danbury today, if you want to call it that, a march, I guess is a better way of putting it, uh, about uh, racial justice. And I wanted to ask Father Will uh, about the church's position. I, I know I, I really thought your sermon that you did on Wednesday night was right on point, and I appreciated it. But uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So the, in a nutshell, the Episcopal Church is we, we are in favor of making our society more racially just. We acknowledge that it is not racially just at this point. Um, I know there's probably some disagreement, particularly among white people who, and the Episcopal church is predominantly white. Uh, but yeah, there is, um, the, the Episcopal church has committed itself to, you know, talking about and most importantly, listening to issues concerning racial justice. I think that's an important part. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a basic part of our baptismal vow is um, 
I'm drawing a blank on the exact words right now because I don't have a prayer book in front of me. Um, but, you know, will you work for justice and peace? And I will with God's help. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to mention that uh, Redding had a, a prayer vigil on, not a prayer vigil, it was a candlelight vigil, I guess, on Monday night. And it was. Well, really, I said a prayer. <laughs> yes, yeah, I was just going to say, I was really happy to see that you were there uh, re representing us spiritually. Well, it was, it was, it was uh, an, I don't want to say an honor or a pleasure, but I, I was obliged to be there. I, you know, it was, that's, that's what it, as a church, we are here to make positive change. We, we want our presence here in Reading to make a difference for people. So, yeah. yeah. And, uh, that was a certainly with that that was an eye-opening experience for me. It certainly, got me thinking about a lot of things. Uh, hearing a lot of the different folks who were there, their thoughts and, uh, about various things. So I thought it was great. Yeah, I, and I thought the I think the really powerful part of that was the personal stories from people, and I, I think for, it, you know, like I. I knew that we had several people of color living in Reading, but, you know, a predominantly white town. And to hear, um, you know, a couple of the speakers talk about their experience, um, realizing that living in Reading, it really is, we're, we're really living in, in different realities on different planets um, from the people of color who live here because it is a completely different experience from what we know. Yes. And that was very, yeah, it was eye opening would be a good way of describing it. Uh, it really made me rethink some things. I can, I can tell you mm -hmm. that much. Um, that's for sure. Um, so to that point, I know that some stuff went out in e tidings about, if people who are listening are wondering what they can do individually, can you, and, or uh, us as a faith community, can you speak to that a little bit, Father? I'd be happy to. Um, and just to, to give a little bit more of a faith perspective. You know, the Episcopal Church also believes that all human beings are children of God, and we all carry the image of God. That's one of the, um, you, know, you don't get very far into the Old Testament when it is let us, let us create humanity in our own image. Um, and, and of course, in Hebrew, it's, it's proper when, when we're talking about God uh, to use the second person, or sorry, the first person plural. Because um, if you're the most important thing you are plural, even if you're singular. Um, this is a quirk of the, of the Semitic languages that, um, you know, people who, who speak primarily English often are unaware of. But anyway, we, you know, if we believe that all people bear the image of God and all people are creatures, God, children of God, 
what, what? then taking our kind of view, if especially if it's based on stereotype and prejudice, um, and 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 kind of an, if an adverse view of someone, if we see that instead of their createdness, their embodiment, then what we are essentially doing is placing our image of them over that that was created by God. And when we value the image of something that is not God over something that is of God, that is a form of idolatry. And you know, most sin you can understand as forms of idolatry. And I, I don't, I'm not going to get too far down that rabbit hole, but racial injustice, systemic racism is something that calls for repentance and just like any sin. And to be clear, you don't need to be convictionally racist to need to repent from, from, from racism. Because you might not, we might not be responsible for what our ancestors did, our economic forebears did. We, 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 we're not responsible for what they did we are responsible for how we deal with it and how we talk about it. And if we ignore it, we are essentially becoming complicit in it. Um, so in, in terms of what people who are privileged can do, uh, the most important thing we can do at this stage in the game is listen and learn. And listening, um, that's certainly what a lot of people did on Monday night on the town green. Um, there's also a lot, you know, I, I set out in the e-tidings this past week, a long list of resources. Um, some of them were essays and articles. Uh, some of them were, were, you know, big long books. Some of them were documentaries. Some were kind of short, you know, 20 minutes or less type of film. Um, th there are a lot of resources out there. And before we ask our brothers and sisters of color to explain this stuff to us, because frankly, it's exhausting. We shouldn't, they shouldn't have to do it. We should at least do some background reading on our own so we're not completely ignorant. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll I'll give some highlights from the list. Um, I think Francis Kendall's essay, "How to Be an Ally If You're a Person of Privilege," um, it helps unpack what people mean by the phrase "white privilege." You know, not every white person is is, is a person of privilege. Um, but, you know, and privilege is something that works, um, gosh, especially across economic class, but, but some other gradients as well. So it's, it's, it's not just a question of black and white, um, but there's, 
you know, since the very beginning of this country, a certain set of habits of mind emerged so that we could practice slavery yet and still not drive ourselves crazy at what we were doing to other human beings. And slavery may have ended, but those habits of mind still persist to some extent. Um, so that essay by, by Francis Kendall is a good one for unpacking that. Um, I think another thing is, is realizing that it's not about you, it's about other people. Um, and, and there's, excuse my French, but the essay by a group called Women of, Voices of Women of Color and Allies. Um, and, and the essay is entitled, Holy Shit, Being an Ally Isn't About Me. Succinct and blunt. Um, if you want some, um, how, you know what, uh, another really good one uh, for understanding some, some, some more specific issues, uh, racist housing policy that made your neighborhood. Uh, that's a, a good one for understanding how um, you know, some of the habits of mind that date from slavery and Jim Crow and so on uh, persisted into post-segregation America. Um, and it's, since, since race isn't just about black and white it's it, 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 it's other you know there are other ethnic groups in the u.s who have had to struggle uh, for fairness uh, julie turkwitz who is an, an author a reporter for the new york times uh, did a magnificent article about um, how uh, native american racial justice is starting to become an issue that's getting talked about uh, and then the, the seven parts of an essay that Nicholas Kristof wrote, uh, when whites just don't get it. Um, in terms of books to read, uh, there's some good ones. Um, they are, are much weightier reading. Um, from a theological perspective, there, there's two excellent pieces, uh, one by Eric Mason called Woke Church, an urgent call for Christians in America to confront racism and, and injustice. Um, another one is by Pastor Jim Wallace. And I'm trying to remember the name of that book. Um, I have who it who did you say wrote Woke Church? Maybe I missed that. I, I... Yeah, Woke Church by Eric Mason. Eric Mason, okay. Yeah. Um, and the title of the Jim Wallace book is America's Original Sin, uh, Racism, White Privilege, and the Bridge to a New America. Uh, it, other, other books, I think White Fragility mm. is a good one by Robin D'Angelo. I'm hearing Some a lot of talk of, about that. Yeah. I know my daughter's listening to it on tape. Why, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism and why, you know, it goes into why rather than go read the book, but you know, one of the things that is such a natural, instinctive reaction 
when people are bringing up something that's uncomfortable, like race and racism, it's very natural to become defensive. And one of the, in addition to just learning and, and reading stuff that people of color have written and, and listening to people of color when they do talk, you know, telling yourself, don't get defensive, don't get defensive, don't get defensive, just listen. Not to re respond, just listen to understand. Um, goes a long way. Um, and, and there's some other books that have some very good... Oh, um, Ibram Kendi, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Another fantastic book. Simple, clear. Uh, there are several books that have... Um, kind of a, a deeper historic perspective, um, like Richard Rothstein's The Color of Law, uh, also by Ibram X. Kendi, uh, Stamped from the Beginning. Uh, it's a definitive history of racist ideas in America. Um, Daniel Hill, White Awake, An Honest Look at What It Means to Be White. Um, there's a, a scholar by the name of Sven Beckert who's done some great historical writing of, um, about race and slavery. Empire of Cotton, a global history, and slavery, slavery's capitalism, a new history of American economic development. Um, and you know, I, I it, it, you can. I think one of the things that it tr that that those books trace is how the wealth that created the antebellum South didn't just evaporate during the Civil War. But long before the Civil War, it, a lot of it kept migrating North because there were banks that were financing you know, the, the cotton industry and the slave trade. Uh, there were ship owners, um, there were insurance companies, you know, primarily up up north, uh, that were making a lot of money off off the slave trade. So, so even though there were, you know, even though we, you know, it, it, especially people who live and grew up in the north, we think of slavery as something that was down there, mm -hmm. um, down in the deep south in the Confederacy, uh, but the reality. Is, is that it was not it was not limited to Alabama and Mississippi and Georgia um, even after it was illegal in places like Massachusetts it was still places like Salem Massachusetts and Newport Rhode Island and New York City and New Haven that were reaping tremendous profits from it yeah um, there are some great films you know, if you've got 90 minutes to two hours, um, some of these full-length feature films are, are, are great. Um, we, my family and I just finished watching 13th uh, that Ava Duvern DuVernay mm -hmm. made. Um, and I think there's some other good ones. Um, there's a couple good PBS documentaries like Reconstruction which is based on a book by Eric Foner, uh, Slavery by Another Name, based on a book by Douglas Blackman. 
um, Color uh, Fear, Lee Moon Wah. And there's some good short videos. Uh, the Enduring Myth of Black Criminality, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. It's, it's a short film that the Atlantic magazine put together. Um, and I think Ta-Nehisi Coates has been one of the foremost African-American authors who kind of writes about this stuff. Um, Father Wilson? Yeah. Do you, do you think that um, when we are able to get back together, can we are, even if we ended up doing, I know we have our adult ed class that we're doing now, but do you think we could uh, maybe pick one of those books? and? I, read I, th I think definitely. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to lobby for, you know, white fragility. Okay. Um, by the Robin D'Angelo book. I would, I, I think I would like to do it as a group just to. I, I think that'd be a great idea. Yeah, no, I, I've already been thinking about that. Um, I think, I think that'd be a great, uh, have a great study piece. And I think we, we could take it nice, you know, a chapter each week. It might take a while, but we can really kind of um, d dive deep into, into the book. Um, I think it's the type of thing that we, um, it's not going to go away, that's for sure. No, we need, definitely not. We need to understand it and we need to be able to um, understand it with our own feelings, how to project ourselves or how to accept or how to be able to talk to other people about exactly. it. That you're not. Well, you're, yeah. And, and, you know, part of, part of repentance is acknowledging that one is a sinner and one is in need of grace. Um, the, and I think once, 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 like a lot of sin, once you name it, it has a lot less power over you. Um, you know, that's why we do confession on, you know, in the liturgy on Sunday mornings is, gives people a chance to name their sin and, and, and to kind of escape from its clutches a little bit. Uh, uh, one last short film. Um, it's from the, the by Upworthy. It's made by a guy um, who has a series called Adam Ruins Everything. And it's How Race Settled the Suburbs. So, you know, we think of the pre- Brown v. Board of Education South as being segregated. Um, and, and that kind of um, makes us Yankees feel all superior. But guess what? <laughs> the, the North is plenty, the suburbs of the North uh, are probably more segregated than anywhere else in America right now. So, you know, Westchester County, Nassau County, uh, Bergen County, New Jersey. Uh, Reading, Connecticut. Yep, Fairfield <laughs> County. <laughs> yep. so. Yeah, that's, that is for sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, thank you for taking us through the list and kind of great. I, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, we had a couple other things that we wanted to talk to, and we could certainly talk about this, you know, for, for hours. But I think, Connie, 
uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about with Father Will about reopening and what our next steps are there? Yes. Um, again, I think people may be afraid to even come to church, and I think we need to know more of the detail of what's going to protect us when we do all get together. Sure. So, I'd be happy to talk about yeah, that, too. Explain that. That would be great. Yeah, we're, st we're still several weeks away. Um, we're not, I'm not sure the exact date when we'll be able to, to move back safely into in-person worship, but there's going to be some, some big differences, and those differences are with the express purpose of protecting people's health, not just the health of people who are coming to worship on Sunday morning, uh, but everyone else who they come into contact with. So, you know, the first um, thing is that everyone's going to enter through one door and leave through a different exit. Um, we're going to leave those doors open during the service uh, to encourage airflow. Everyone's going to be wearing a mask. We'll, we won't be having any communion. We'll be doing morning prayer. Uh, we'll also have no congregational singing we'll have you know beautiful as always music um, but it, it will be entirely instrumental um, and you know you, one of the things you'll see it when, when when you first come back is that all of the hymnals and, and prayer books have been removed from the pews um, and, and so there will be fewer opportunities to touch things uh, another thing, and, and, and this will well, make sure we, this gets announced multiple times before we come back, is that the bathrooms will be off limits. So go to the bathroom and make yourself comfortable <laughs> before you come to church. Okay. Um, oh, boy. That's a problem we, we are, for me. <laughs> we are, we are going to be – our goal is to make sure that there are as few surfaces that you touch um, in the church. And basically, you know, everything is to avoid the three C's of spreading respiratory viruses. And those are closed spaces. And there's not a whole lot we can do about that. Um, that's um, standing close to other people. And there, I'm going to get to that in a second. And... Close contact. Oh gosh, why am I drawing a blank on the other C? Anyway, uh, but but we're going to make sure that you know everyone's going to be wearing a mask. Uh, we are still going to be broadcasting uh, both on Facebook Live and then posting it on YouTube after the fact, um, so that people who either aren't comfortable with the restrictions or um, are, are in a at-risk category can still take part in the worship. Um, by the way, the pews are going to be are going to look a little different. The, the pews are still going to be where they were beforehand, but um, we are going to tape off a, a big section of the middle of each pew, and we're going to have. Um, Little, you know, places for for families or individuals, um, and they're kind of staggered. So, it, so the, whoever's sitting in the pews will be six feet from other people. 
Um, so, you know, w with those precautions, we'll be, I'm confident we will be able to keep people safe. The, 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 there are people who are in high risk groups that should not come back to in-person worship yet. And those are people over the age of 65, which I realize is a huge chunk of our congregation. Um, anyone with any kind of, anyone who is immunocompromised or lives with someone who is immunocompromised uh, should wait until at least the second stage or, uh, of, of, of returning. Um, anyone who has any kind of heart ailment, asthma, or some chronic respiratory condition, or a kidney or liver condition. And that's, you know, I realize that that's a lot of our, our, our congregation. Uh, we will, when we go back, we'll probably stick with the 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock rather than doing our, what, what had been our customary summer hours of having a Saturday night and, a, and just one service on Sunday morning. Uh, and that is so that we can spread people out over two services rather than just one. Uh, but yeah, there's not going to be coffee hour. Uh, there's not going to be hugging. Uh, there's just going to be a, a short bow and a, you know, that's going to be passing of the peace. It's going to be the namaste, as in namaste away from me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, but, but I, I, I anticipate us being able to reopen to in-person worship soon. It might be more than a month, um, but I, I think it, it, it will probably be, I'm guessing, by early July. Don't hold me to that. Maybe sooner, maybe later. Okay. Sure. Well, thank you for that information. It'll be good to be able to share it with others. And, um, and I know, of course, we'll be communicating that with everybody also. Mm -hmm. Good. That, yeah. that, that, was, that was great. Um, and it was good, good talking with you guys as well. Yeah. Looking forward to getting this out to our folks. A couple other things we just wanted to mention is our... Uh, Typically, we get an opportunity to mention our high school graduates and college graduates. Father Will, did you want to say something about that? Yeah. On Sunday, the 21st, our 10 o'clock service, we're going to have a special, um, most likely it'll still be virtual at this point, but we're going to have a special blessing to honor our graduates. And so I'm going to ask um, the Bartros, the Stones, and the Gallagher's uh, to, to email a digital portrait of their child, of their graduate. Um, since we can't have Emma, Roddy, and Sam in person, I'll at least print out <laughs> some portraits of them. <laughs> well, that'd be nice. Uh, and so we'll, we'll bless them in effigy. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that'll, uh, that'll be a, a nice thing, especially for the parents. We all, you know, want to see that. Yeah. And, and you know, it, 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 it's, you know, we've got 
Emma graduating from William Smith College, uh, and then Roddy and Sam graduating from Joel Barlow High School. I think Roddy and, went to Bethel, actually. Oh, I Bethel. Think, yep. Okay. My apologies. Um, but, you know, Roddy is heading to the United States Marine Corps, and Sam is headed to Plymouth State up in New Hampshire. So, um bigger and brighter futures for those two young gentlemen. Um, and, and I'm excited to hear a little bit more about what Emma's going to be up to after college as well. So, yeah. Yep. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll give our graduates an appropriate uh, send off into their next endeavors. Well, it's going to be much appreciated. Um, I think we lost Connie. We had a little technical issue there, I think. But was there anything else, Father, that you wanted no, to share? No, I, th I think that's good. I think we are good to go. Um, thank, thank everyone for listening in. Um, and, yeah, we look forward to seeing you all in person, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. All right. Thank you, Father. All right. God bless you all. <laughs>